We are so glad, again, that you're here. And we just appreciate you choosing to be with us. I know for some of you who have been with us now for uh, these six plus months, today's July 1st, we launched, uh, our first service was January the 8th. So we're now entering our seventh month as a campus, which blows my mind. Yeah. Thank you, Connor. No, but it blows my mind. I mean, God is so good and uh, we're just so thankful for all that he has done. And I know some of you that have been tracking with us now for, for those months or, or maybe just recently, maybe this is a little further drive for you. Some of you, I said that to a lot of people last week. I said, hey, thanks for making the drive. I had one guy say, well, this is way closer than Sequoia. Let's just keep meeting here. But we're going to go back to Sequoia in just a few weeks. And we're thankful for Creekview opening their doors to us and Cherokee County Schools working with us. We're thankful for Sequoia for hosting us. Uh, on a regular basis. So we'll be back there in just a few weeks on July the 22nd. But for the next three Sundays, today and the next two, we'll be meeting here. And so we just appreciate you being with us and choosing to come uh, and be in service with us today. You know, a couple days from now is July 4th. I don't know if you know that. Um, It's coming up quick. And, you know, July 4th is this patriotic, celebratory Grilling out, fireworks, ice cream, water, especially in in this heat that we have. But I always think, and I put my glove up here, I didn't realize it was going to be visible. I always think about baseball. I think about baseball when I think of July. Um, I love baseball. I bought my new glove yesterday. That's really the only reason I have it here, just so that you guys could see that. Um, But I always think about baseball. I think about summertime. I think about baseball. I think about sports in general. I think about movies, some really old classic movies that, that really kind of show the, the boys of summer and show them play. And I think about, you know, a movie that's not really a classic. It's a good one, but it's not a classic. Uh, Sandlot, which, you know, I watched a couple years back, number of years, whatever. Um, that's a fun movie. They're playing ball and then they go watch fireworks and all. I just, I just think about those kinds of things because I love baseball. I love summertime I love how baseball for me is connected to summertime. We just finished yesterday. Um, Cooper, our, our oldest son, just finished his all-star season, our all-star summer season. Uh, didn't win uh, any games. Um, but man, we built a lot of character this summer. Um, built a lot of character. No more character to be built, so we ended the season yesterday. But uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, most of our losses were in, in part to the coaching of Brian Smith, who's a part of this congregation. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I just think about baseball. I think about summertime and I I love it. I, I, when I, I'm serious, like I, I I tweeted the other night, if you follow me on Twitter, you're a friend on Facebook. Um, hopefully you're a friend in real life as well. But if you friend me on Facebook, uh, you saw, I, I just, I love that Cooper, my oldest one right now has the same passion for baseball that I have. I mean, he had played in like 100 plus degree heat and caught. So he's wearing catcher's gear, right? In all this heat and he's just worn out. We get home. First thing he does, turns on the TV, watches the last two innings of the Braves game. And, you know, just did my heart good. And I was excited, but I love it. And when I think about baseball, I think about like how it's connected to like Americana, I mean, it is connected for me to all things that are, you know, American life and summer and living. And and it's exciting for me. Some of you, you think, I I don't think that at all. I hate baseball. It's the most boring three hours of my life. I love it. I could sit there and keep score and tell you who's got an RBI and he's thrown out this. I love it. But in our country, we come to this season of time here in the summer. And it seems like because the kids are out of school for the most part and um, the, the heat of the summer and we, we're going by the pool. And so it just seems like, and maybe this is just me. It seems like we just develop this more 
patriotic uh, feeling of national pride. Maybe it's because of the fourth, just kind of right in the middle of the summer. But we just, we seem to get that. Maybe it's just me. But I love when our national pride swells. I love when we just fall in love again with our country and we're proud of it. And you got flags flying everywhere and you've got all these things. And that's really great. I mean, you think about some of the, the moments in our history where our national pride has been the strongest. We think sometimes in, in, in moments of tragedy, we think about right after 9-11, how we, we rallied together as a nation and we, we, we stood with one another and I, we, we were proud of our military and we were proud of our, you know, the folks that were here and serving in, in, in the civil services. We were the, the firemen and the police officers and the, the, the emergency crews. We were just, we were so proud of our nation and we're, we're rallying together to respond to this, this moment of crisis. We, there's other times that we're, we're proud of our nation, and maybe it is just during these holidays and times. There's other times where maybe our nation seems a little more divided or split, or we see some of the ugly sides, the ugly kind of underbelly of our nation. We look at sometimes the, the political process of electing new officials. It doesn't mean that those officials, there's anything wrong with them, but sometimes the process by which we elect them becomes very negative, and, and we don't hear what people stand for as much sometimes as we hear what the other guy doesn't stand for, or the mistakes they've made, or they're doing. Or, and so sometimes that turns into a really ugly process. You know, I don't know if, if you're like me, but in this past week when the Supreme Court has made some decisions, it seems like the people that I am having conversations with, or again, just the social media side of this, when I just get on Facebook or on Twitter, it seems like we're extremely divided over some of these issues. We look at the idea of healthcare and some people believe that, man, this was the worst decision the Supreme Court has ever made. Other people look at that and go, thank you for making a great constitutional decision. Some people look at this decision and they say, okay, this absolutely assures that Obama will win the election. Other people look at it and say, this absolutely assures that Romney will win the election. And we look at these things and it kind of divides our country. And we see some people making statements that are very harsh and ugly. And we don't look at those moments and think, man, I am proud to be an American. I look at those statements and I mean, I, we're, we're, we're divided. I'm not saying you can't have, have good conversation. I'm not saying that you can't have arguments over things that really matter. And, and I think some of these issues very much do. But I think sometimes now we get into the ugly side of us as a nation, of a, of a people, as we struggle with what it means to be a nation and to care for those that are among us and who should fund that and all these other aspects of this. And we get into these ugly parts of what it means to really be a nation. And so for us, there's a tension if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in, in, in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, you, you have this tension probably in, in, in some moments, maybe not every moment, but in some moments where you have to decide what should take priority in my life. Should it be my national pride, to proud to be an American, I love the USA, you know, somebody's singing the song and I'm crying, mean, I'm proud of that, or... Maybe I can still feel some of those emotions, but the thing that should take precedence here, the thing that should be the priority is me being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, I wonder sometimes for us if there's a tension in that. And as we come to these moments of celebration and July 4th, how we really you know, rectify that. And some of us, if you've been living here in the South, maybe all your life or most of your life or the last few years, I don't know if you see this and it, it's, it's growing less and less, but for a lot of us, I mean, there was just, as I was growing up, it was almost like if you're in the South, you love two things. You love God and you love the good old U.S. of A, boy, right? 
That's just how it is. You just, those are the two things you love. Everything else, you kind of choose your allegiance of which college you cheer for and all this kind of stuff or which, which race car guy you're, you know, what. I mean, like, you've got a couple of other allegiances, but you love God and you love the USA. I mean, that was kind of the southern, this is the mentality here. And so for us to really kind of figure out how does this tension play out in our lives, what does that really look like? I want us to go to Scripture today and really talk about a couple of things that I see in Scripture that hopefully will help us work through this tension. And I'm not talking about tension in a negative way necessarily, just what this looks like and how we live every day, and especially during seasons of maybe where our pride is up in, in one or the other. So I, I was looking through the book of Matthew, and I had this on the screen. That it, I told him, I sent him a text right while we were finishing that last song. I just want to tell this story that, you know, Jesus was walking around doing ministry in, in, uh, in the Gospels here, at least our retelling or our, our reading of the Gospels. He's walking around, and there are various times, these being uh, two examples in Matthew chapter 17 and in Matthew chapter 22, where people are attempting to trick him or get him to kind of make a mistake in what he says or what he does so that they can then find fault in him. And really what you see a lot of times here, and these are two of the examples, is you see either the religious leaders bringing something to him that hopefully will you know, put them, him in bad standing with them, or you see some type of Roman official, which was the government that, that was a part of that, that landscape there. You see them bringing something or, or some system as a part of a decision that needs to be made that might pit him against them. And at the end of his life, just before he goes to the cross, you see these two systems warring against one another to see who's responsible to put him to death. You see this idea that the Jews, the religious people, are attempting to, to utilize all the systems available to them to find fault with him. And then you see him taken before the officials of Rome and you see how that plays out. And then it goes back and you see how that plays out. But in Matthew chapter 17 and in Matthew 22, we see that this uh, followership of, of God the Father and this citizen of Rome, this, this, this culture here that he's a part of kind of play out. And what you have, the first one is that Jesus is standing there with some of his disciples, some of his followers, and Peter's standing there. And when they ask Peter, does your master pay the temple tax? Does he pay the tax that's required? It's, it's four, uh, depending on what translation you have. It may say drachma there. Let's just call it dollars just because that would be, we would all be on the same page here. These four, this $4 tax. And, and, and they say, yeah. And so Peter and Jesus have this conversation. And then Jesus does this really cool miracle as if it's nothing. We almost read right over this. Jesus goes down and gets a fish, opens the fish's mouth, gets out like a $4 coin, hands it to Peter and says, hey, go pay the tax for me and you. Now, first of all, if I'm Peter, I know I've seen a lot of cool things at this point, but I'm like, that's pretty cool. I don't know how you did that, but that's pretty, I got to get me one of those. I mean, that's a really neat thing if you can just open the mouth of fish and pull out money when you need to. But Jesus just pulls out the coin, tells Peter, hey, go and pay our taxes. Because after this conversation, we understand that there is this, Jesus, is, he understands that there's this, there's this system that's a part of the landscape of the day, and he's going to honor that system. Matthew chapter 22, we see that they're trying to trip him up. And I actually want you to put this on there if it's not too late. I told him not to. But throw this up there. This is Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they're just buttering him up right here to try to trap him. It says, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So you see here that Jesus would not be trapped by what they were trying to do here. But he's saying, listen, yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. He has said that. Nothing he does in this instance takes away from what he's already proclaimed. But he said, we are a part of a system here on earth that we have to honor. And on this coin, on this denarius that you have shown me here, this is Caesar's picture. It's his inscription. So you pay to Caesar. You honor the system that you're a part of here on earth. And you pay to God. You, you honor God with the things that honor God. And so there, Jesus right here, he says, you can do both. You can be a part of the systems of the world and you can honor those. And, and just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you should kind of shy away from those. You honor those systems and you honor God in the way that you live. You pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. You pay to God what is God's. And so he, no pun intended here, he, he says you can pledge allegiance to both. But what is this? What does this look like for us? I mean, we are a part of a nation here, the United States, that depending on who you listen to was founded by a bunch of Christian men. They were founded by a group of believers who leaned on and trusted in God to found the nation. Other people say, no, you know, they were they were good and moral men. Some of them were believers and others were not. And wherever you land in that, you kind of walk back through our history and you see that there are moments in time that. There, there, there's no way to remove the hand of God or the, the words of God out of that. A couple that I want to read to you, some of these that you very much know. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, in the Gettysburg Address, he said these words, and, and I'm starting in the middle of a sentence here, but it says that we were highly, we here highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and then the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth, under God. About 75 years later, that, those two words were put into the Pledge of Allegiance. This pledge that our children say uh, at the beginning of school days, and we see them done at other functions, public functions. And so this, this idea of being one nation under God, under God's authority in the way that we live and honoring him by who he is and what he's established here on the earth. Another here, when you trace back all the way to the beginning of the of the United States, before it was even the United States, it was just a, a group of colonies, a bunch of people trying to find freedom to get out from under this system of tyranny as it related to England. The, the second sentence in the Declaration of Independence says the, this. Some of you can quote this probably. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want you to look at something real quick, and we're going to go back to Scripture in just a moment. But look at this. It says that we hold these truths to be self-evident. It means that you can't even really argue with that. I mean, they're just self-evident. They're a part of the fabric of who we are and the, the systems of the world. You can't really, they're just self-evident. According to these men who were drawing this up, they're saying, listen, this is, this is just a natural part of who we are as human beings. This is self-evident truth here that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain rights. Their creator gives to them certain rights. 
And among these, just a few of those rights, not all, this is not an exhaustive list, but a few of those rights is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I heard a man say yesterday, in reference to this right here, that what you, ha- what you see sometimes in nations and groups of people, when they pull out the creator part, when they take away the relationship with God, when they take away the authority of God in their nation or in their people group, when you take those out, you begin to see these rights and others removed from their culture as well. You take out the creator part and you see that the, the life that we believe is an unalienable right. It, 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 it's a right of every single human being. We see that life is then stripped away from them. And there are no longer laws and, and systems that protect them from just being killed. We pull those out. You take away the creator aspect. And you see that, that, that another thing that they can be removed. Other than just these that are listed here. Is, is the idea of liberty or freedom. I mean how many nations around the world lack freedom. They lack the basic freedoms that some of us take for granted in our culture here. And what these founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence were saying, that these rights here that we're listing and others like them are given to us by our creator. And so if that's the case and you pull the creator out, then you really lose not just the right to life, but you also lose the right to freedom because freedom comes from our creator. The other thing is this pursuit of happiness. How many other areas of the world, even sometimes within our own, our own uh, nation here, do we see that the pursuit of happiness, not happiness itself, but the pursuit of that is stripped away because we have removed the creator from that aspect, from the nation, from the landscape that we have. I thought that was an incredibly profound idea that he was presenting. And so we look at our nation and we see that Man, some of the things that Justin talked about here, it's not even related to political systems. We just see the, the turmoil. I mean, just in the last few days, talking about the fires out in the Midwest. Just eating up miles and miles and miles of, the, uh, of, of our nation. It's, it's burning down people's homes. People are losing their lives. People are spending thousands and thousands of hours trying to put out this fire, just praying for rain. We see that a storm in the Northeast, I think as of yesterday, I know some of them got regained power last night or this morning, but as of yesterday, more than 2 million people were without power. All these people that had lost their lives. We just see that this world is, is decaying. We believe that the way that God created this earth and then sin was a part of now the earth. And so the world is, is passing away. We believe that the plan of God calls for the reconciling of all men back to himself for him to establish a new kingdom, heaven and earth. But the world that we live a part of now, this, this earth, this literal physical globe that we're a part of is, is dying. But even within our governmental man-made systems, again, we look at the Supreme Court decisions, we look at the political arena, we look at the, the local level, the national level, the state level. We look within our own communities at the issues that people are facing. And if I can be honest for a moment, and this is very convicting for me. So I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at you or even at anybody else other than us collectively. The reason that we struggle now to come up with systems to take care of people that are hurting or in need is because the church has walked away from its responsibility. 
If you look throughout our history of the church, not this church, the church on the earth, you see in the book of Acts when the church was being established that they had to create new systems for even the government of the church because the church was so busy taking care of widows and orphans. They had to establish new men to step up to oversee that part of ministry so that others could concentrate on the preaching and teaching of God's word because they were so busy and trying to make sure it was even and fair in the way that they took care of those that were in need among them. You look at the hospitals around the world that were established out of the church. The orphanages around the world that were established out of the church. And you see that we, the church have walked away from our responsibility and now the other arenas of our culture, government and otherwise, private sector, they are attempting to create systems to help take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And so we, the church, have to own a part of this, a part of the responsibility. So what does it look like To be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be a good citizen. I mean, what does it look like to be 100% solely committed to the God that we've been singing about this morning? And to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, to, to be responsible agent within this nation and within the systems that we're a part of. 1 Peter chapter 2 is a great place to look. 1 Peter chapter 2, and and, and there's a lot of incredible variations among the, the different translations as it relates to some of the specific wording that's used. I am using the message here which is not a a version I use a lot. It's not a a literal translation, but I want to use it because I love the verbiage here, but I don't believe that it walks away from the original intent of the text. I want to read just about six verses here from 1 Peter chapter 2 before we close. It says this, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Listen to this right here. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order If it is God's will that by doing good you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society, exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity, love your spiritual family, revere God, respect the government. Revere God, respect the government. Revere God, respect the government. The very first line of this passage of scripture says, friends, this world is not your home. Some translations say that you are an alien in this land. But I believe that as we live here on this earth, as residents of Cherokee County or Cobb County, Whatever county you live in, whatever city or town, as residents of the state of Georgia, 
as citizens and residents of the United States, I believe that the way that you live in that context, the primary motive out of that should be honoring God. I believe that. But I don't think I'm, I'm giving you new profound truth here. I'm not saying that this is some new grand idea that's something different than the other areas of your life. I wrote this down so that I wouldn't forget it. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be the best American you can be because your faithfulness honors God. Let's just change the the fill in the blank there. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be the best student you can be because your faithfulness honors God. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be the best employee that you can be because your faithfulness honors God. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be the best mom you can be because your faithfulness honors God. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be the best designer or writer, or teacher, or lawyer, or doctor, or voter. You should be informed. You should be the best. Whatever it is that you do. Because your faithfulness honors God. I'm going to ask the band to come. What is it that we just read? It says, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. I really do believe that you could go right there where the word citizen is and insert just about any other word. Make the master proud of you by being good drummers. Loud, boisterous drummers. Make the master proud by being good pipe and drape setter uppers for Mount Perrin North Canton campus. I just said setter uppers. Yes, I did. Make the master proud by being good husbands and wives. By being good sons and daughters. By being good parents. By being good employers and employees. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be a good citizen. But guess what? This world is passing away. This world is not your home. We believe, according to God's word, that there is a larger plan. There's a greater story being written in the world. Nations rise and nations fall. God's word remains true. My ability to lean into him is always available to me. So here's my challenge for you. In anything that you do, do all to the glory of God. When you go to the polls this fall, don't just focus in on one or two pet issues that that Christians have been known for in recent decades. We have not spoken to to those that would want to speak against us by how we have been informed or uninformed a lot of times as a group. Some of our loudest voices have have caused us to be identified by one or two things. When you go to the polls, you be as informed as you can be. You make the best decision that you can make 
in order to be the best citizen, the best American, to hopefully put people in office that you believe will allow us as a local community, as a state community, as a national community, to honor God. But in everything that you do with your life, you choose to honor God. Your priority is that you would honor your maker. And that in everything that you do, you don't remove the creator out of that. Or some of the rights that we believe we're entitled to may also be removed. Now here's the, here's the rub here, okay? My brother, who's an awesome guy, loves God. He's preaching right now probably for about an hour more. He's way more long-winded than me. He's, he's in Kentucky, and, and he and I have this conversation a lot. But he says, you know, there's this, there's this rub for us as believers because we do believe that the world's passing away, and yet we're fighting to keep it better. And I understand kind of what he's saying, but here's the deal. While I'm here on earth, I want to do everything that I can do to live in ways that honor God. And I want to help everything that I'm a part of, hopefully, honor God. I want my home my marriage, my relationship with my kids to honor God, to please my creator. I want my workplace to honor God. I want the teams that I coach in baseball to honor God. I don't think that you have to remove those things. I don't believe that we can segment our lives into these spiritual pieces and these secular pieces. I believe that as followers of Christ, everything is woven together That every piece of us should reflect the glory and the nature of God. I don't think that stops with national pride or voting or politics or entertainment. I believe every aspect of our culture needs to be made up of people who love their creator and are looking for ways to honor him with their lives. I sent a song to Justin a week or two ago and asked him to kind of have it for this moment. I, I love this song. I've been listening to it in my car. I've been listening on my phone. I just, I, I sit, listen to it on my computer when I'm, when I'm doing other things. I love this. It's a, it's a personal challenge to me. It's a call to action for me and for us collectively as the church. So I'm gonna come back and pray in just a moment, but I, I just, I'm asking that as, this song's going on. Maybe you wait just a few more minutes to text somebody about where we're going for lunch. Just, just hang right here. Just maybe search your heart personally and look at any group of people that you are a part of, as small as a marriage or a relationship or a working team or whatever your, your groups that you're a part of. Look at those and say, what is it that we do to honor God in the way that we respond to those around us? Then we'll come back and pray. God, if following you is only about this moment in this room with these people, I I don't know that this is what you had in mind. I believe that followers of you are just your mobilized hands and feet, meeting needs, proclaiming the good news, And so, God, my prayer today for the people in this room 
is that we would start, when we get home today, being good neighbors to the guy next door. That we would be the change that the world's looking for. Because that guy, he's looking for a good neighbor. The lady down the street, she might need help mowing her grass. Filled with compassion, God, let me respond. People in my job, people at my school, people that I interact with, people that I may not know well. I pray, God, that as I intersect their lives, that I would show them that mercy is alive, that I would show them your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your peace and the way that I respond to them. Let us as the church, this individual community of believers here in this place, find ways to meet specific felt needs in this community collectively. But God, let us have far greater impact as we individually live out in this earth ways to honor you. We just reflect you in in our interactions with others. God, our impact individually can change someone's life. Pray for us as a community that, God, we would not just focus on these moments in rooms like these, but, God, we would be preparing ourselves to leave this place, to go out into this community and affect change. God, check our hearts now. Let us not be more passionate about certain issues or political platforms or certain things within our culture than we are about pursuing you and your will and your ways. And in our pursuit of you, God, in our pursuit of you, would you allow us to live in ways that honor you point others to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.